This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When the babies were born at 32 weeks, I spent just about two weeks recovering and spending time with them in the NICU. And then I went back to work just about two weeks after my C-section. And I was, you know, still on painkillers and I was still extraordinarily swollen. I couldn't wear closed shoes still. It was a hard time. And I remember that my route to the office would take me by the hospital and I would drive by the hospital where they were, my babies, and I would just sob. I would just sob my way to work because I just was so sad and angry that I couldn't be there with them, that I couldn't afford to be there with them. It just felt really wrong. It was hard. And, you know, I really look back on that and I still feel like I was robbed of time, if that makes sense. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is a bit different than usual. I wanted to give women this space to talk about how America is failing mothers. And I had an outpouring of mothers reaching out to share their experience. When it comes to motherhood in America, it does seem that we are working against the grain and not with it. Whether we talk about the lack of maternity leave, the lack of health insurance options and significant financial burden after birth, the infant and maternal mortality rates, the disproportionate rates in which black women and women of color suffer from complications when compared to white women, lack of childcare options and the significant cost of childcare, or just the overall stress of maintaining a career with children or staying home full-time with children. It's all incredibly difficult. In the next two episodes, several mothers from across the U.S. will share their own personal journeys. My goal is to bring light to these very real issues that face mothers in America today, because the more we talk about the issues, the more we are able to change them going forward and create a better life for our own children. Never underestimate the power of women, and especially women who team together for positive change. Let's get started. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, Lindsay. I am a triplet mom from Arizona, and I wanted to tell my story to bring a little bit of awareness to you know, the what I feel is a real lack of support for mothers in the postpartum period and how I feel like family leave, paid family leave, or the lack thereof really plays into that. So what we found out in 2016 that um, we were having triplets and 
obviously that's a big life-changing thing. And I think, you know, we didn't really understand from the get-go just how challenging it was going to be, I think. So we had a whole maternal fetal medicine team and we met regularly with them. They monitored myself and the babies very closely. We had a lot of medical support um, and it was it was really helpful because it was kind of a scary time sometimes. I, um, I did end up in the hospital at 20 weeks with preterm labor and some other complications. So I was put on bed rest and I was actually hospitalized on bed rest for a little over six weeks just to get us past the viability point. And so I work for a small business. I, I work for a wonderful business. They're wonderful people and I love my job, but they are a small business. So there are limits to what they can offer us as far as maternity and short-term disability and all of those things. So I really only had the eight weeks of unpaid maternity. So I, in an effort to prepare for that, had planned to work until literally the day they were born, if I could. And I was trying to like really hoard my PTO and really be prepared because I knew that, you know, I was going to need some time to recover from a C-section and I was going to need time, you know, because three babies is a lot um, for a first time parent, but uh, so I was actually allowed to work remotely, and I did so from my hospital bed, and I, I worked full-time. I, I managed it, and my nurses were not real excited about it. They would say things like, you, are, you just need to be an incubator. You just, your job is to be an incubator right now. And I think, you know, I didn't realize that that really was going to be the harbinger of what was coming for me. So when the babies were born at 32 weeks, I spent just about two weeks recovering and spending time with them in the NICU. And then I went back to work just about two weeks after my C-section. And I was, you know, still on painkillers and I was still extraordinarily swollen. I couldn't wear closed shoes still. Um, It was the middle of July. (laughs) It was, it was a hard time. And I remember that my route to the office would take me by the hospital and I would drive by the hospital where they were, my babies, and I would just sob. I would just sob my way to work because I just was so sad and angry that I couldn't be there with them, that I couldn't afford to be there with them. It just felt really wrong. It was, it was, it was hard. And, you know, I really look back on that and I still feel like I was robbed of time, if that makes sense. But I would, so I would go to work um, in the morning and I would try to pump through the day and I would take breaks and pump. And we had this little storage room that we would have to put a sign up on so that nobody would barge in on you while you were trying to pump. And uh, more often than not, I would doze off while I was trying to pump because I was just so wiped out still. Then at five o'clock, I would go to the NICU and I would try to spend a few hours and do cares with the babies. Um, You know, I know my fellow NICU parents will relate to that because I think, you know, cares were really important to me because it was one of the few ways that I felt like I was involved in their, in their care and that I was still their mom. We just, we had so many people taking care of them that at times you really didn't feel like you were their parent. It was it was a really weird, not great feeling, but 
you know, I did, I did what I could. And I think I really pushed myself probably too hard. So they came home after six weeks in the NICU. And that's kind of where things really spiraled for me because I was released by the maternal fetal doctor. And they gave me that postpartum depression questionnaire. And to be honest, that questionnaire is I think something like 30 years old. And I remember looking at it thinking, this is, this is crazy. How in, how can you possibly understand what someone is going through and the depth of what they're going through with this one size fits all questionnaire? It just felt, uh, really ridiculous and really, um, condescending, frankly. And when I asked questions, well, if I, if I have problems, you know, can I call you guys? And they, flat out told me, no, no, you need to call your regular OB. And I thought, well, why? She doesn't know what I've been through. You guys have been by my, you have held my hand for the last six months. And now you're just going to leave me in the middle of the road with no, no guidance at all. No help, no nothing that that's it. And so I think that was kind of my first taste of how it, it it's just not it's just not right you know we leave new moms floundering because we're focused so solely on the babies and and for a good reason but i think that we don't you know we don't spend enough time with moms to really understand how they're doing and my situation was very extreme but i do feel like they tried to you know push me down a route where i was treated like any other mom who'd had one single baby and no complications. But the reality was that my situation had tons of complications and my mental health was struggling. So I had these six unpaid weeks of maternity that I was taking. And I kind of just spiraled into a lot of anxiety and intrusive thoughts. And I would sleep on the floor next to the baby's beds because I thought, well, Maybe I can prevent them from aspirating if they have a reflux attack because they had reflux. And I, and sure enough, I would wake up to one of my triplets would be just gagging on his, uh, you know, on the reflux. And so I think that like reinforced my stress. And I just was sleeping maybe two or three hours a night, maybe. And then I would go to work after. So ultimately, I cut my maternity short. We just couldn't handle the financial strain. Trying to pay for specialty formula and diapers and everything for three babies. It just, it became too much. So my husband and I kind of devised a plan where we would work opposite schedules in order to offset the cost of childcare, which is also a problem. I mean, astronomical, there was no way, and there was no way I was going to leave my premature babies with strangers. So with my husband working and me working and us kind of ships passing in the night, we had this new routine. And um, a lot of times we were both alone with the babies. And it just was really, it just added an extra level of stress that I think maybe wouldn't have been there if we had been able to take the time that we needed to kind of get into a routine and learn how to be parents and just take care of ourselves too. You know, in in the year 
or the really the first like 10 months of their lives just became a living nightmare for me. I was struggling at my job, obviously. My employers were worried about me and my future with the company because my performance had always been pretty, pretty good. And I really am, I consider myself to be a pretty high performing um, person as far as that goes. So it was also very, I don't want to use the word humbling, but I think humbling for me to be in a place where I wasn't high achieving anymore. I was having a hard time um, in my marriage. My marriage was really suffering um, because my depression and my anxiety were just at a level where it was like unmanageable and I was not getting help. So there was that and just the struggle of taking care of three newborns was just, I really underestimated that for sure. You know, we were doing it without really any help. Uh, but I, I remember that I had kept in touch with some ladies from an infertility group and they, I think they became concerned about the situation. And I, one day I came home to messages from them and they had basically put together a fund to get me a night nurse for a few weeks because they just felt so bad about how things were going after all the struggles that we'd had, even having these babies. It was just, yeah, it was hard. I'm so grateful for them to this day. And I mean, I will just never forget um, the kindnesses of my friends in that, in that moment. And, and, you know, I'm grateful for the help we did have, but realistically we didn't have very much. And I think that kind of played into the, the load being so heavy. Uh, and I did have a therapist at the time. Unfortunately, I just hit the, hit the lottery on that one and got somebody who really didn't have any empathy or understanding for my situation. And she one day unloaded on me about how uncommitted I was to therapy and that I was wasting her time and my time. And so really what she ultimately did was reaffirm these feelings of um, inadequacy and failure that I was, um, that were growing in me. And I just, I would go to bed at night and sometimes think, gosh, maybe it's just better if I don't wake up tomorrow. I'm not doing a good job at anything. I mean, what have I done? What have I done? So, you know, it was, it was a, a struggle and I finally went and saw a regular OB and I had to take the babies with me because I had no childcare, nobody to watch them. And I took them with me to this OB appointment and the OB was not amused. First of all, she was not amused at all. And she was, she was very blunt about, you know, really, you just need no pair that that's just going to solve all your problems. You need to go, go home and, and apply for no pair. So yet again, I kind of got brushed off the way that I was feeling the place that I was in. I got brushed off and just, just go home and deal with it. Just go home and figure it out. And I just, nobody seemed to see the depth of my despair and the depth of my pain and that I was giving every ounce of everything I had to these 
little babies that I had waited so long for, but that my need to work and, and, and provide for them was, you know, at odds with my ability to care for myself so that I could be there for my babies too. And, you know, my husband, he really, he really tried to, you know, be there in as many ways as he could, but it was a struggle for him too, because he really didn't know what to do. He wasn't prepared for this either. It it was, it was birthed by fire for all of us, I think. Um, And I just, I just know that if we as Americans could find a way to support families after birth, I think that we would be more productive as far as when we go back to our jobs. I think that our children would be better adjusted. I think that we would be better parents if we were given the time to heal physically and and mentally because ultimately my children are six years old and I still have lasting issues um, physically and mentally from from that time. I mean, it really... I really have just come out of the fog a little bit in the last year. And that's, that's a long time. I really wish that there was better support for families. I really wish that we could find a way to give families the time that they need um, to take care of each other and to take care of the next generation of Americans. Because really, isn't that the goal that we could um, build a better, a better family and a, and a more um, well-adjusted family and a healthier family if we could just be there. And I think that some of the onus is on the medical community too to support mothers because I really don't think that they do a very good job supporting mothers in postpartum. I, I really felt abandoned by the team that held my hand so diligently through my high-risk pregnancy. I mean, they just flat abandoned me after those babies were born, it made me feel like I was, I was the incubator. I was not, I was not important to them. So I just wanted to also say that my husband actually works for a larger company that uh, provides a lot more benefits. So while I was working through healing from a C-section and taking care of three infants and doing all of the things, um, struggling to do all of the things. My husband actually had dropped a weight on his toe at the gym and ended up on short-term disability for three months. So I think there's some <laughs> disparity there between what my husband's job offered and what he was able to take. I mean, he was able to take three months off from work to heal his foot but I couldn't hardly take two weeks to heal from abdominal surgery, having triplets. So, you know, that is something I think uh, we'll never really be able to reconcile. I will never be able to reconcile that. And, you know, the struggles that we had over the time when our babies were little, I really look back and feel really robbed of a lot of the joy and time that I had hoped for because it was just, it's always been such a shuffle to just keep our heads above water. So, you know, I really thank you for giving us this platform to, you know, bring attention to this and to hopefully build something better for our children. Thank you so much.
This podcast episode is brought to you by Bombas. Bombas would make a great gift for anyone on your list this year. Gift a pair of incredibly comfortable slippers, t-shirt, or socks that fit any activity on your gift recipient's list this year and give back to those in need with every purchase. Did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one item for every item you buy. Most recently, they worked with their partners at Global Empowerment Mission to donate over 219,390 units of socks and underwear in a range of sizes and styles to help support humanitarian relief efforts in Ukraine. Their clothing is the type that you find yourself going back to every day. Everything is soft, breathable, tagless, and seamless. Their no-show socks, my personal favorite, are great for workouts and they never fall down. They truly are the best socks I have ever put on my feet. Their holiday collection puts a modern twist on traditional festive colors and designs. Think rich purples and greens, geometric snowflake designs, sweater-inspired textures, and retro ski patterns. Perfect for anyone's stocking. My oldest daughter has officially stolen all of my socks and refuses to wear any other socks on her feet, so I know what I'm asking for for my stocking this year. Go to bombas.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, and use the code Lindsay for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. You can use the code Lindsay at checkout for 20% off. Hi, Lindsay. I am going to talk about my experience with childcare and not just the childcare during through and through a pandemic, but also what it's like normally without COVID. So my name is Dana and I am a public school teacher and I have been a public school teacher for 15 years. I have two young daughters who are four and almost two. And our youngest was born in October of 2020. We knew at that time that we wouldn't have to worry about childcare for either one of our girls until the 21-22 school year. And we felt pretty lucky that when we were looking, we were able to find a center that not only had room for our baby, but also for our preschooler. The school year started like unlike any other I have ever experienced as a teacher. And I will say that teaching in the fall of 2021 was way worse than trying to teach through the spring of 2020, as well as the 2020-21 school year. Well, within just a couple of days into the school year, the illnesses from daycare came. And anyone who has had to put their child into childcare understands that the sickness happens. And in any normal year, it is a huge inconvenience to constantly call out sick from work. But in COVID years, it was impossible. My youngest daughter only lasted three days at daycare before she came down with her first cold. This would be her first cold of so many that I had lost count. She was sick every month for multiple days. We didn't have alternative care and we had to stay home with her. During the beginning of the school year, it is impossible for me to miss work. My husband understands that and had decided that it would be best for him to take those days off and stay home with our youngest until she improved and could go back to daycare. And by that time he did return, she did get sick again and again and had to continue taking time off. His work had told them that to avoid getting in trouble with HR for constantly calling out sick, that he needed to take a permanent leave of absence or I needed to. 
So to avoid losing our medical insurance for my family, which I hold, we decided that it would be best for him to take a leave instead of me. And the way our child care systems are set up, we had to make the choice of continuing to pay for our youngest to attend daycare instead of pull her out and hope they have room for her the next school year. We chose to keep paying in the hopes that in a couple months she would can, could return to her full days and my husband could return to work. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. We continued to pay even though our youngest only attended half of her days per month and my husband continued to stay on leave. In a matter of just a couple weeks into the 21-22 school year, we had not only lost our second income, but we had to keep paying our astronomical daycare bill. We only send our girls part-time and we pay more than our rent each month in part-time daycare. Throughout the rest of the school year, we had daycare classroom closures due to COVID, which I totally understand. There was COVID outbreaks, there were COVID exposures, and they needed to stay at home and quarantine. None of those days that were lost were refunded. We still paid for a service that we weren't able to receive. That year nearly broke me. Mentally, physically, I was exhausted. I was run down. And not just as a mom, but also as a teacher. It nearly put my family into financial crisis, and I am terrified to start this school year and repeat what happened last year. I am terrified, to say the least, that if we have a repeat of next year, my family will not survive, and we will have to make that choice to keep our children home and not pay daycare because we cannot make it work. Unfortunately, my story is not like any other, or is like others. I work in a school building where there are a lot of people who have children who are under the age of five, and their stories are very similar. Some stories had better outcomes, and some stories had worse. And what do we do? What do we do about it? Uh, The only things that I can truly think about is that we need to subsidize our childcare industry. It is in crisis. Our child care centers are closing. We lost two at the beginning of last school year, just in my area. I have a colleague who, within 15 days of starting the school year, she needed to find a new child care center for two out of three of her children because her center was closing on September 30th. She had two weeks and she got lucky to find a place as quickly as she did. We need to bring back the child tax credit. That alone for my family paid for half of our daycare bill every month. And if my husband had to take more days off because we will see illnesses, that right there would keep us above water. We need to make sure that families don't have to make that terrible choice of having to survive on one income or pay a bill that is more than their rent or their mortgage. We need to pay our daycare teachers and directors more, more than just a living wage. They spend so much time with our children and help us raise our children. They deserve the respect of a competitive wage for an immense responsibility in the job that they have. And it's time for our country to show that respect to our childcare industry and to show that respect to our families. We are struggling. We can't survive until something changes. And I feel very lucky that I'm in the situation that I am. And I hope, truly hope that this coming school year is better.
Hi, Lindsay. My name is Jenna, and I am going to be talking to you about the difficulty that I experienced finding health care insurance or health care coverage while I was pregnant with my first child and subsequently following birth, um, health insurance for my son, the baby, and myself. A little bit about me. I live in the Midwest. Um, My husband and I have kind of moved a little bit all over the country. I am a nurse. I'm also a professor of nursing, and I currently teach full time at a university that is local to me. I have two kids. The oldest, the baby that I'm going to be talking about in my story, he turned eight this summer and my youngest is four and a half. All right, I'm going to dive into my story. So I found out that I was unexpectedly pregnant at age 25. I say unexpected. Um, He was a surprise, not unwanted, but definitely a surprise um, to my then boyfriend and I. My boyfriend and I were both currently in school in college. Um, My he's now my husband, so I might use boyfriend and husband (laughs) interchangeably. But he was in the Marine Corps right out of high school. So at the time, we were both. Actually, you know, I was 24 when I found out I was pregnant, not 25 yet. I was 25 when I gave birth, but we were 24 when we found out that I was pregnant. And he was completing an undergraduate degree in geology and working. And I was working on, I was in the second year of a master's program in nursing education. And I was working three jobs at the time, all of them part-time. Um, I was working as a graduate assistant or a TA at the university where I was attending. Um, I would got a small stipend for working there, but most importantly, I had a tuition waiver. So that is how I was able to pay for graduate school without taking out any loans. Um, so I was very fortunate to have been able to secure or earn a teaching assistant position. But then because at the time I was also a nurse. So, and if any of you work in healthcare, Lindsay, I know you do. Um, nurses, like a lot of other positions in healthcare, you make more money if you work PRN which means you kind of work when they need you, when you're available to work. So I had two different PRN jobs at two different institutions. So I would work at both of my PRN jobs, like one shift at each place a week. And then I would do my TA job twice a week. And then I was also attending school um, in person. It was not online school. It was in-person school. So I was pretty busy. And the reason I decided to have the two PRN jobs rather than a one full-time job is because at the time, because of my age, I could still be on my parents' health care insurance and I could be making like the same money, but working less. Because when you work PRN, they pay you more money, but you get, there's no benefits. 
no health insurance coverage, no PTO, no maternity leave, none of those added benefits that you would get if you were a part-time or a full-time employee. So when not pregnant, it was a really great plan um, for me to be able to work, to go to school, have that TA job where I was earning a stipend to have free tuition to be able to complete my graduate degree. But we found out we were pregnant. And I, um, my parents found out that the health insurance plan that I was on would cover me, but not the baby. So they would cover my pregnancy as long as whatever it was pertains to me, but not to my baby, which is kind of crazy. It took me by surprise. So I was stuck with kind of weighing my options. What do I do? I, I need health insurance. I'm going to be having a baby. You know, I'm a nurse. Um, I work in healthcare and I understand how expensive having a baby is. It's so expensive. And then what am I going to do for health insurance after I have him because I can't just go immediately start a new job, like have, you know, give birth and then go walk onto a new job. And, you know, when you get a job, a lot of times, most places won't offer you health insurance for at least, you know, one month, um, maybe six weeks. I've worked at a job where they didn't offer you health insurance until you worked there for three or four months, which is also kind of crazy. I had thought about quitting my two PRN jobs to go get a full-time job, but I thought to myself, I'm going to be giving birth here in, like, I found out I was pregnant at six weeks, so I'm going to be giving birth in eight months. If I work somewhere full-time or um, part-time to get healthcare insurance, when I need to go on maternity leave... I will not have worked there for a full year and I won't rate maternity leave. I won't rate that benefit. So, which is so disproportioned, you know, you have to work somewhere for a year. Gestation is less than a year. So it really traps women, pregnant women, um, into, into jobs or prevents them from getting a job because, they might, like me, face, okay, so I take this job, but then I have the baby, and what do I do? I haven't worked here long enough to earn a maternity leave. So then, and then I also thought, like, well, if I get the full-time job, and if I don't earn, mater- like, maternity leave, and I get fired, and then I won't, still won't have health care insurance, and I'll kind of be back where I started, what am I going to do then? And if I take a full-time job, I'm going to probably have to give up my graduate assistant, my TA spot that I earned and school won't be free for me anymore. And just, just all the things. So I was like totally rocking a hard place. Um, my husband now, my boyfriend at the time, he didn't have his own health insurance either because he was getting by on the GI bill because he was in the Marine Corps for four years. So he was getting free tuition and getting a stipend to pay for an apartment and then working a part-time job in the Veterans Affairs Office to help, you know, make ends meet. 
And so we were like, he could quit school, (laughs) quit school, go get a full-time job. We'd have to get married like for, it was just, you know, it just kind of wild. And he was in his junior year of college, really wanted to finish, which left us just really trying to figure out what on earth are we going to do? How are we going to get health insurance for me? And most importantly for this, you know, this new life we're going to be bringing into the world. And so we ended up, or I ended up applying for Medicaid through the health department. And I qualified for it um, as a single mom. I had to show, you know, that I was single, that I was pregnant, and that I didn't have a full-time job. A bunch of other hoops to jump through. It's kind of a slow process. Luckily, they they will, like, retroactively pay for bills that you might have accrued while being pregnant, but it takes a it takes a while. So I wasn't didn't know that I was going to be covered until I was maybe four or five months pregnant. So in that meantime, I'm like, oh no, what are what are what am I going to do? What are what are we going to do? When I applied, I jumped through all the hoops. I got it. It was really interesting talking with the social workers. They didn't really understand how somebody like a nurse who was in grad school was in their office on public assistance, basically. So it was that that was an interesting experience. And then I was maybe see, I found out I was pregnant in September. No, I found out I was pregnant in October, and by January, both of my the PRN jobs that I was relying on for the bulk of my income. They suddenly did not really, they didn't need me anymore. They wanted to hire people full time instead of rely on a PRN person to be filling in shifts. So kind of overnight, both of my PRN jobs, the hours dried up and I could not commit to full time working there due to the type of schedule that they mandated because I wouldn't have been able to go to school. And I would have had to give up my graduate assistant position. So I I felt like both my husband and I were faced with this, like, okay, do we quit school? Do we quit furthering our educations? Do we quit going after our, you know, our job, our higher job prospects to, you know, have health insurance, which I feel like is kind of a uniquely American problem, right? you have to choose. You can't have it all, even though some people, you know, claim that you can, but you really have to choose. So all that's to say, I I was very fortunate to be able to, again, have or be on Medicaid for the birth and for not me, but my child. My baby was able to be on Medicaid for the following year after that. So it it did all work out in the end, but it was really stressful. And I felt like the system wanted me to choose between, and and, and my, my husband, my boyfriend at the time, to choose between going to college and having health insurance. And it was just a really yucky, it was just a really yucky feeling to have. And 
let me see. The next question that Lindsay had for me was, have I met anyone in my same position? And, you know, I really, I haven't. I don't talk always, I guess, about what happened with my health insurance and being pregnant um, all too often. I feel like nobody nobody asked really at, at the time, like none of my friends. It just wasn't a topic of conversation. And I was, I mean, I was kind of embarrassed. I was embarrassed to be on public aid. It has such a stigma in this country. And I truly was one of those people that really needed it and really qualified for it because I felt like I, you just, you just, it's hard to go find a full-time job when you're pregnant. Employers say, or like you're legally, they can't discriminate against you, but they can find some other reason not to hire you when you're pregnant. They know you're going to go on maternity leave. And I knew if I got a full-time job, they could fire me when I had my baby because I didn't rate a maternity leave. So, but I, I have not met anybody in my, my position at all. My baby is eight now, so it's been over eight years since my story that I'm sharing here, um, it happened, but it has really changed. It really changed my perspective about people who are on Medicaid or like I also qualified for food stamps and that could be a whole story in, in and of itself, the dirty looks I got going to the grocery store, visibly pregnant. I saw cashiers looking at my stamps, looking at my body, looking at my hands, like putting the picture together. I, it made me feel, it made me feel dirty, which is so unfortunate. And I just, I had up until that point because I'm white and I'm middle class in middle America and I just had not experienced such open looks or just open. I knew what they were thinking about me, even if they didn't say it out loud, right? So the topic that I'll be covering is loss of job due to pregnancy. And another thing is the loss of health insurance. So I am a ICU nurse, worked over seven and a half years, graduated with my FNP and MSN. Uh, after completing that, I was excited to start working as a nurse practitioner in a major New York City hospital. My prior experience was in a major Long Island hospital. So my credentialing, everything was expedited. I found out I was pregnant and I could barely even believe it myself, pregnant with my first. And I told my job at 12 weeks, I still was waiting on my credentialing to be completed I had only just found out when I got the offer. So I found out I was pregnant on a Friday. I got the offer on a Monday and I was six weeks pregnant. So with my first, I just, I had no doubt that it was, I just was nervous basically until the end of the pregnancy because of working in the ICU and just seeing so many terrible, terrible cases. So when I started working, there was no kind of orientation, the nursing general orientation was supportive in this hospital, but the smaller consult uh, consulting specialty that I worked for was, there was no guidance, there was no, so by the time I was still on nursing orientation, I was a month and three days on the job. It was a Thursday, I got this lengthy email that totally out of the blue from my overriding, my attending, 
And um, it was just so disrespectful. I could not believe how he was talking to me. Keep in mind, this was a union hospital. So I had never worked for a union hospital before. When my sister, who's a lawyer, read the email, she just could not believe how he was speaking to me. Um, And Friday, I was doing the work of volunteers. And Monday, again, the work of volunteers. Every day that I went to work after receiving this email, I tried to talk to the manager. I tried to talk to the attending. I tried to talk to the other people. There was one other person on this team. No one made themselves available. The manager, when I did speak to him, only ever stood up for the other two people on the team. So then by that Tuesday morning, I was a month and three days on the job. At 8 a.m., I get a text from the physician to come to his office, and they fired me. The manager said it wasn't the right fit. When he addressed me at my termination meeting, I was six months pregnant, a month and three days on the job. I was technically still on nursing orientation, like they had events throughout the few weeks that I had been there that I had to attend. And I just, I was the breadwinner for my growing family. Again, this was my first child. I was the health insurance for my husband and I. So I had to pay for Cobra. I had to move back home to save money. And and ended up being a blessing in disguise. But I always planned on working and putting my, I had already put a deposit down for the daycare provided by the hospital. And, you know, as a first time mom, I just had every incentive to do all that I could. And I, and I, and I felt like I had already failed my baby who was, I was six months pregnant at the time that I got fired. But, you know, I made the best of the situation. And, it's something that I will never forget. And I want it. I want everyone to know about what can still happen that after I talked to lawyers, because I had nothing in writing that said, because you are pregnant, I I did not have a case. And here I am pregnant, the breadwinner recently fired. I I didn't have one lawyer was asking for $3,000 just as a, just to, I would get that money back if I won the case, but I, I couldn't take that risk. It ended up being a blessing in disguise because with the pandemic happening, we ended up moving. I had a second child. I'm still home with my kids, but I wasn't planning on it. I was a multi-certificate, you know, at an award-winning unit in Long Island, in a big Long Island hospital. I never thought that this would happen. And now I'm left sort of picking up the pieces of a career that I really had high hopes for. And I reconsider what I'm doing all the time, even though being a stay-at-home mom has been the biggest blessing that I never thought would work out for me. It's the hardest job I've ever had, but it's also the most worthwhile. And I know I'm lucky that my husband has received opportunity after opportunity. And it's because of me that he's able to take these opportunities because I'm home. But anyway, I, I wish I had at least been given a chance to you know, deliver my case to somebody and just prove that I was treated unfairly. So that's why I'm just so happy that you are giving me an opportunity to speak out because everyone that I meet in person, I tell my story to because I just never thought that I would have been treated this way. So I have heard of other people working for this workplace in Manhattan at this hospital and leaving very soon after because it's just not a very 
supportive work environment. I have heard of other people from my nursing school that I went to, which I graduated nursing school in 2010. I have heard of girls being treated unfairly due to pregnancy. And in reference to how to better this for the future, I just think that if if women were to talk more about how no one does it all, people get help, people are still treated unfairly at the workplace. There's not enough support when it, surrounding pregnant women in the workplace and trying to balance everything. When I was treated this way, I, I, I talked to, I, I sent out emails to people who were supposed to be supporting me, my manager that was also working at this hospital now and no responses. I just, I felt like alone on an island, even though, you know, I had always felt supported at the hospital on Long Island. So I just hope that, you know, my story helps open eyes to this definitely still present issue in the workplace. And thank you so much for letting me tell my story. Bye. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.